Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to season three of the Power of Privilege and Allyship podcast. My name is Funke Abimbola, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Austin Bronte Consultancy. The consultancy's main goal is to improve leadership by leveraging the impact of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity across the business world. Now, today, I am so, so excited to be speaking to David E.J.J. Lloyd. David, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. Now, David, you and I have worked very closely together. You are one of my clients, in fact, but our wider audience might not know who you are. So would you mind introducing yourself, uh, David, to our audience and telling us all a little bit more about you, please? No, not at all. My name's David. I do have the EJJ, which I, which I hang on to. I'm headmaster of Solihull School, which is a large independent co-ed day school in the West Midlands. So we've got about from K 1,520 or so pupils from 3 to 18. And I've been here, gosh, I'm in my 12th year now. Fortunate to have a school property. I live on site with my wife. And, uh, and my two daughters have been through this school. So I've got two, two girls, lovely people, and they've both just graduated this year. So one's graduated from Cambridge in English, and the other's a painter, and she's graduated in fine art from the Glasgow School of Art. So that's me, really. The EJJ, I don't tell many people what that stands for, actually, but <laughs> I will in this case. Please do. Uh, I, I was born in Malta. My mother's Maltese, um, so a very sort of strong Catholic family. And the EJJ, they all have significance. It's Emmanuel, Joseph, Julian. Uh, they're my middle names. And they all mean something quite personal to, to me and the family. So that's where the EJJ comes from. It's just so wonderful how you touch on the theme of names, David, because names are, are tremendously important in, in all societies. And certainly in Nigeria, where I'm from, they're almost considered to be prophetic. I'm, I'm sure it might be quite similar in, in, in Malta, that you know these almost foretell what you're going to do in the future. Is that the case in Malta at all? Oh, absolutely. Choosing names in Malta can, can divide families. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a real bone of contention. I mean, I mean, my name, the, the Emmanuel, because I'm, I'm born around Christmas time. That Joseph is a family thing, and, and the Julian. I, I was christened in, uh, in a small village called St Julian's Bay in Malta. So yeah, it's really important. And, and when I chose my own daughter's names, you know, there was a rationale behind why we did what we did. I thought everybody did the same thing. Maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But yeah, it, it, it's it's important. And that's why I use my initials. You know, they're, they're, they're significant to me and they're, they're important and they reflect who I am. Yes, now that's a really important message to get out there. And, you know, education, which is what we'll be talking a lot about, uh, given what you do and just how, you know, prominent Solihull School is. How did you get into education? How did you become a teacher? What was it about this field that attracted you so much, David? Well, I suppose when I was at school, I was one of those kids that often helped other kids with their academic work. You know, I wasn't exceptional, but I I, I took pleasure in helping people understand maths problems or whatever it was. And, 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 And to be really honest with you, at the time, there was a lot of industrial action in the teaching world. And I went to a comprehensive school in Liverpool and it was a difficult time I think for teachers and and teachers effectively well they taught me out of ever being a teacher because they were having a really tough time back then in the in the 70s and 80s 
So I, so I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It, it was that I went off to university to, to read economics, and it was that late eighties. It was the it was the Porsche driving, red braces, Filofax, silver briefcase kind of era. And I thought I want some of this. So, so I went to work in the city. I went to work for a merchant bank called Midland Montague. And I thought, you know, I thought all my Christmases had come at once. But I had this thing in the back of my head about teaching that wouldn't go away. And I didn't feel fulfilled in doing what I, I was doing. So after a short period of time, I resigned. I think the staff at Midland Montague thought I was bonkers. I was really bonkers for, for resigning to go to teacher training. So I went from, you know, good salary at the time, 1989. I went from good salary to no salary and went and trained in Nottingham as a teacher. And I had a girlfriend at the time who was also teacher training and she got a job before I did. And she got a job in the city where we were training, which was Nottingham. So I thought, well, I'll do the same. I'll stay in Nottingham so I could be in the same city. And this job came up at a school called Trent College, just private school, uh, day and boarding school, still there, very good school. It was an independent school. And it was the first time, going for interview, it was the first time I'd ever set foot on the campus of a private school. I'd never been to one before in my entire life. And I thought it was on a film set from Kate. I, I thought it was Brideshead Revisited. You know, that's a fabulous sort of Victorian facade and chapel and hockey pictures and all of these wonderful things. And I thought, gosh, this is a school. You know, I, I, and that's when privilege started to sort of percolate in, in my head. Anyway, I didn't get the job. They offered the job to somebody who a few weeks later let them down, changed his or her mind. So the head, a man I learned a lot from called Jonathan Lee, phoned me up and said, are you still job hunting? And I said, yes, I am. And anyway, cut a long story short, I got the job and there I was having been educated in, in, in a comprehensive school, which you know, was quite tough at times, teaching in this, this school where pupils, their parents were paying significant sums of money, particularly a border. I mean, gosh, out of post-tax income to send one, two or three children to, to the school. And that started my career in the independent sector. And, and so it was all by chance. And I had no experience of it at all. Well, it's so incredible when I ask that question around what led you to where you are now. You know, I always ask that question of everyone that I interview the podcast. And there's the element of planning, which is always there. You know, don't we all have these plans, David? But yeah. actually chance and luck and, you know, just serendipity, whatever you want to call it, it's a huge factor, isn't it, David? That's how I arrived in the independent sector, you know. And it was, it was luck. You know, this job came up. First of all, the decision to stay in Nottingham. Then this job came up, which I didn't get. Then the person pulls out, so I do get it. And it was good fortune. And even in my next job, I've been teaching three years at Trent. I'm an economist. I don't do much now because I'm head, but I'm an economist. That's how I ended up in the city, because I, that, that's my degree. And this job came up at another good independent school, who actually is a competitor school of mine now, a competitor for Solihull, and that was Warwick School. And I'd only been teaching three years, and it was head of department. It was head of economics and business studies. And... and People said, oh, don't go for it. You don't have enough experience and so on and so forth. But I thought nothing ventured, nothing gained. And again, good fortune played a part because in the department, they had two very, very experienced colleagues in this school, Warwick School, where I was applying for the job. And the department of three. And because they had these two really experienced colleagues, 
they were happy to take a risk. And I was a massive risk for them. I'd been a job three years. They were happy to take a risk and they gave them a job. And I had two wonderful mentors. So fortune, first job, second job, probably all of my jobs actually, has played a part. And, and again, that was my second independent school. And where I am now is actually my fourth. So always teaching within the independent school sector and, and your whole career has been within that sector, it sounds like. It is. And and I'm, I am mindful of that. I'm very conscious of that because, you know, I, I, my background is very different and they, they were my formative years. And, you know, I know you are passionate about privilege and, and I, you know, I, I, I check my privilege from time to time. I reflect on the advantages conveyed upon me by being in the independent sector, by being head of such a school. That's with me all the time. I try to use my privilege for good, and that's important to me in, in, in school. Um, and, you know, the issue of privilege and allyship and, and mental health as well. As it's kind of, I, I hope, I really hope if people talk about the Lloyd years in the future, yes, there are new buildings, and yes, there's a second artificial pitch, and yes, you know, we, we now have a prep school that we didn't have before. But I suppose, what do you want to be remembered by, David? It's things like the mental health of our school community. You know, we, we just, okay, unveiled a, a, a new equity flag crossing. And that's the product of, of the school's equity group. And before the equity group, we have the pride group. And I feel really proud of their achievements. It's about the, the ethos. It's about how we, how we think, how we understand, how we treat each other. And they're the things I'm most proud of. And it's only recently, you know, it's not look at me, I'm great. I mean, I'm learning all the time. And I don't, I try, you know, I don't, if I don't have to reinvent the wheel, I don't. If I see things in other schools that might work here, I think, great, let's try it. But one thing we've done very recently is we've appointed the school's first ever anti-discrimination lead. And, that, and that's Lou, and she's, she's amazing. And, and she's now on the senior leadership team because I and my senior leadership colleagues feel so strongly about it passionately about it that we have an anti-discrimination lead and she learns on leads on on you know on so many different things we're just launching an inclusion charter and, and that led to you know our relationship you were recommended to me by a governor because you did some work with his law firm and when i said I, I was looking for somebody to come to the school to help us on our journey this particular governor recommended you and and here we are that's right and, and honestly you know for me it's hugely commendable what you're doing. You know, I, I was, you know, I've had not lots of meetings with members of your, your team, senior leadership across all levels, really. And the commitment there is, is extraordinary. You know, I have every confidence, David, that the Lloyd years will be remembered, yeah. uh, not only in terms of mental health, but it will be just the overall culture and your response to things like, you know, the Black Lives Matter, George Floyd being murdered. I mean, I'd just be really, really keen, to, David, to hear about, you know, any challenges that you might have faced in your career. You know, it sounds like luck and serendipity played a huge part, but you must have had situations where you felt as a leader you were particularly challenged. And, and how did you overcome those challenges? I'd be so keen to hear more. Yeah, I mean, there have been, there have been difficult times. There have, and, and I suppose people let you down as well. None of us are perfect and we all make mistakes, but the nature of those mistakes can differ quite significantly and there are times when I feel that I've failed to get the message across maybe to other members of the community and I, and I won't 
you know, I won't single any individual or group out. And, and they've been difficult times and, you know, times heartbreaking. You know, I've had to make difficult decisions about the community and its composition. But what I have, and, and I'm very fortunate, you know, I have a group of like-minded individuals around me, a very strong group of individuals around me. And there are times when we feel demoralized. There are times when, you know, I, I want people to keep learning and I encourage people to diversify their reading and their screening and their listening. And I think I have to sort of accept that you'll never, I don't know whoever said it, somebody once said, you'll never satisfy all of the people all the time. You know, maybe that comes with maturity that, that, that I've accepted that. And, and I think in schools like this, people, there's a danger that we don't think often enough about our privilege and we normalize our privilege. And, and a message, a, a, you know, a drum I keep beating with, with, with everybody. You know, there are phrases I use around school. I talk about, I talk about being an upstander, not a bystander. And, you know, I, I think slowly but surely people are thinking the same way. Uh, you know, we talk about not okayism and I want people to call things out, but that's not easy. You know, it's not easy. You know, if you're in a group situation and there's, there's, there's an alpha member of the group, it's not easy to say, that's not okay. You know, I'm not happy with that. I, I don't accept that. And that shouldn't be said or shared or whatever, you know, in, in any community. And that's that's a slow process. It's a, it's a little bit like, you know, turning the old tanker time. And I, I think the key thing is is that we don't lose heart. Yes, I'm a white male. That's obvious. But I, I did suffer some racial abuse at school because when my mother dropped me off or she came in for, for, for whatever, she's clearly Maltese. And, and, I, and I got some of those racial slurs that are used against people that might come from Southern European countries or, or Latin American countries. You know, the words, that, you know, probably best not to use them here. So I've got some experience of that. Not, not a massive amount. No, absolutely not. You know, but, but I got a little bit of that and it, and it hurts because, you know, I, I love my mother dearly um, and it, it hurts in that sense. And even, I suppose, you know, even some of my closest friends and, and out of love and friendship, you know, I've been, you know, they, they refer to me as, as Giuseppe or, or, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe from a role modeling point of view, I should stop that. But you're learning all the time, you know, and I, I've been called Guido and Giuseppe and these things just because I'm born in, I was born in a Southern Mediterranean country. Yeah, so I, I suppose a little bit of experience. So I'm not trying to say I've, I've, I've suffered a great deal. I haven't. But I've got some experience of being on the receiving end of unkindness. Yes, no, that sounds very, very, very clear. And certainly the initial point you raise about the frustration in just trying to get people on board sometimes, right, David? Like, you know, you're trying to communicate something that is very, very clear and, and you see that this is a clear way forward. And it is very frustrating when others don't seem to see it the same way. Even even today, you know, we, we are talking as a school funkey about something as maybe insignificant as the uniform policy, and all members of the community want having the right to wear a ponytail or have both of their ears pierced, not having a girl's uniform and a boy's uniform, having a trouser uniform and a skirt uniform, and you wear whichever you choose. There's, there's resistance to change, and you know, you you hear some opinions that you'd rather not hear. You know, and I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that our pupils are all, you know, they're, they're all smart and they're all ambassadors for the school and they're all role models. But if there's a male member of my school community that wants to pierce his ears, he can. You know, this is, these are recent changes. You know, I, I wasn't ahead of the curve 20 years ago 
No, I wasn't. So I've been in teaching 31 years now, I think. But we are making those changes. And a very powerful thing that, 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 that stuck with me some years ago now, and this pupil's no longer at the school, we had a pupil transitioning from female to male. And I remember having the parents in here, very brave parents, very supportive parents. And they said to me, and it stuck with me, they said, we've gone from having a very unhappy daughter to having a very happy son overnight. I've never forgot that. I'm, they're brave, how brave they were and how supportive and, and they love their child dearly. And they said overnight, this transformation, unhappy daughter to, to, to happy son. Moments like that make you feel that you're doing the right thing. And, and the equity group now, I mean, the powerful group of pupils they're doing wonderful things around the school and role modeling as well all the time. And this ambassadorial role they perform as well as, and that's our statement to a community. There's one thing that's always frustrated me as well, and you've probably heard it. Tolerating to me sounds like you're doing something under sufferance. It is about celebration, but hopefully one day it won't even be about celebration because we don't think about it. That's how the world is. So I, I can't stand this concept of, of being tolerant because it's just, it's just not enough. Celebrate, that's better, but let's hope we get to a point where we do neither because that's how the world is and that's how the world should be and it doesn't matter. This is why I've enjoyed working with you in the school so much, David. There's no denying the genuine passion that you have for these issues and, and what you're saying around, you know, tolerance sounds as if, David, that we're sort of putting up with, doesn't it? I think that's what that word sort of implies to me, certainly. Lots of people use it and I think stop using it. It's, it's just, it does, it's not the right, it's not, it's not my direction of travel. I would never tell people to be more tolerant. It's just not enough. No, I agree. I agree. And, and your role as headmaster is so varied, David, you know, in a typical day. I mean, whenever I've had, you know, had calls to catch up with you about how, how our work is, is going that we're doing together with the school, there's always so many things going on for you. Is there any such thing as a typical day? No, there isn't, I'm afraid. There's no such thing. Um, I, I, I come to work sometimes, I look at my calendar and I think, I've got a gap between 11 and 12. You know, I can go to my to-do list that I've not addressed for some time and, and, and but my, my day you know it's a mix of the strategic and the tactical and, and sadly some firefighting from time to time I'm interviewing today for an internal appointment you know, I've got I've got this meeting with, with you this opportunity to, to chat I've got a governor's meeting tonight it, the weekend we had a, an old sales reunion we had former heads and deputy heads of school coming back um, we, there was a 65-year gap between the youngest and the oldest. So there's no typical day. I suppose the way my job has changed is I suppose I spend, sadly, more time than ever before now dealing with external agencies. You know, and that could be lawyers. It could be HR. Or it could be, because we do a lot of work with mental health, dealing with the various agencies in and around Birmingham to, to help support our pupils with a variety of of issues, such as eating disorders, for example. So that's taking up a, a, a bigger and bigger part of what I do and what we do. And a few years ago, we approached a local charity called Safeline, and it was a charity that supporting people uh, suffered rape and sexual violence. And we approached them because they offer they offer counselling as well, of a, of a specific and, and general. And cut a long story short, 
that relationship has blossomed and we now have in-house, albeit employed by Safeline for independence, in-house counsellors five days a week with, with different modalities, you know, whether they're CBT or person-centred or we have an art, we've had an art therapist as well. And I'm sad to say, even with coverage five days a week, from the beginning of the day until the end of the day, we still have a short waiting list of people's waiting, uh, and staff can access this as well, of, of waiting to access the counsellors. And that has been a feature of, of, of my headship. And what we're trying to do is have that in as a, as, as a reactive approach and, and helping members of the community when they've, you know, they've, They've got problems and things that you know they need to process. And on the proactive side, we've actually introduced well-being and personal development to the curriculum across the school. So certainly in the senior school, it's on everybody's timetable that they go to well-being and personal development lessons. And last year I taught the year tens on a weekly basis. And it covers many of the issues that we've spoken about today and, and the issues that, that, that you deal with. We, we, we introduced something called retrace. And that is when somebody has, has been unkind to somebody, broken school, school rules, or, or done something they shouldn't have done, trying to move away from sanctions as, as the default position and put them on a retrace program where they can do things like victim awareness, you know, that kind of thing. So we're really trying to have the counsellors in place for when we need them and sadly we do and there's a waiting list but lots of proactive work as well on, on how we can avoid the need for, for, for the reactive you'll never fully do that but you know we, we, we do try and, and I'm really proud of, of the school and so much so that in the weeks ahead I don't think it's a month I think it's weeks ahead I mentioned Lou our anti-discrimination lead she is rolling out our retrace to other schools. We've invited them to come in for training sessions on, on what we do. Uh, a significant number of schools are coming along to, to hear about retrace and how they might use it in their own community. Yeah, I'm not sure which question I'm answering, I'm answering at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is what's so lovely about these interviews. It's so natural. I mean, you know, the question I asked initially was around your typical day, but it's just uh, it's just great to 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 hear all this stuff that I'm very familiar with, of course, because I've been working with you all for several months. But again, it just shows what a flagship Sully Hall School is within the area, where you know you're you're showcasing this is what's worked for us. This is what we've done. Come and learn from us. You know, spreading that learning is. It's critical to driving change, David, isn't it? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we can't do it alone. And, and don't get me wrong, there are great things going on in many, many schools, and, and we, we often tap into to, to their expertise as well. But you're right. It has to be not just sector-wide in terms of the independent sector, but this has to go much further. Um, but I suppose... Coming back to privilege, really, what we have, and we're, and we're incredibly fortunate, is we have the resources to do these things. You know, I, I can go to the governors and say, listen, uh, you know, I, I want to spend X amount on this mental health initiative or this 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 um, anti-discrimination initiative. And and even, you know, working with you, okay, we're, we're fortunate to have the resources to, to work with you. And, and you've been very kind to us. My concern is that's it's not the case everywhere. I mean, I know that this isn't. I know it's. You know, it's, I wish it were more typical of schools nationally and internationally. Many schools have the have the will. 
they might not have the, the finances, the money. I mean, that often comes down to cash. It does. It does. Um, I'm blessed and, you know, another example of, of our privilege. And we do, you know, as a school as well, moving up, you know, we, we, we are, one of the things like we're trying to do as, as a school is is more bursaries, you know, a shift away from scholarships to to, to means-tested bursaries. And, and, and only I and the bursa know, but I take, great pleasure i've seen somebody come to the school and they're fully funded by us or possibly fully funded and a bit more because we buy the hockey stick or or you know whatever it might be and i know who those pupils are and the, the bursar and i do and i it's, it's just a tremendous sense of satisfaction for me when i see these people going through the school and going off to forge great, great careers and futures for themselves and i wish we could do more we, we do what we can and many former pupils contribute to the Silhillian Fund, that's what we call it, which is used for, for, for bursary provision. That is just wonderful to hear. We have talked quite a lot about privilege already, haven't we, David? But I'd love to hear what your understanding is of privilege. And if I was to say, what is privilege and what does it actually mean to you? What would you say to that, David? Uh, for me, it's, it's, gosh, it's the social benefit, social standing, the respect, dominance in some ways. That, is, that, that comes from belonging to certain social identity groups and whatever that be, you know, whether that's because you're wealthy, it could be religion-based because you're this religion and not that religion, gender, sexuality. And it, it's, it's the advantages and the benefits that that, that confers on, on, on the individual. And I think this is the sadness for me is I don't think we don't think about it enough. We don't consider the advantages that um, uh, that that are, you know that we have by being a member of that that group of people, and we normalise it, and it becomes normalised, and that's where I think we've got work to do. Have you seen that cartoon about equity and equality? Yes, I have. Standing on three different blocks. That's it. And the two children, two children trying to look over the fence. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and the equality is that you give them the same size box. Yes. And, and the, short, the one that's shorter still can't. Still can't see over the yeah. fence, that's right. But equity rec- recognises our different circumstances. Mm. And we give people the, the resources and the opportunity they need for an equal outcome. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference. You know, it's not giving everybody the same resources and the same opportunities. Uh, and and that's what I that's how I approach privilege really, and I and I want people to reflect on privilege, and reflect on the advantages they have, and use that privilege for good. The difference between equality and equity, and that feeds into allyship, then doesn't it? You know, it really does. Standing in solidarity, being a friend, being a partner, being an ally, and it comes back to my sort of upstander, not bystander. You know, constantly learning calling people out and I suppose in my case and in your case and for many others as well realizing where we have influence yes you know I have influence in a home environment I have influence in certainly in a work environment you know I, I do have that influence and and I should use that for good um, whether it's Black Lives Matter or everyone's invited or any other you know issue that, that, that that's relevant. And that's important to me that, that I recognise, you recognise, we recognise where we do have that influence and we use it. 
It's so important because, you know, there's far too much performative allyship, isn't there, David, where it's a box ticking exercise, it's keeping up that facade, being seen to be doing something when really you're not. I see a lot of that, don't you, where you're not quite sure what's really being done, really, in terms of improving oh, things. I do. And talk is cheap, isn't it? It, 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 it really is. And you know, I, I, I printed this off before, and I hope you don't mind because it's relevant to what you've just said. It's a, it's a quote that I like. I hope you don't mind if I read it. It's Please do. Martin Luther King, and, and it, it resonates with me. Uh, and it, this is this is how it goes: shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. And I think it's that point. That, that issue of shallow understanding that, that you're referring to and box ticking that you know we we, we try to address and, and and we try to do things that are, that have impact and meaningful and and they're they're often it's often more difficult that way because you are challenging people and you are yes doing that oil tanker and there's an attitudinal issue here and and it, this is why when when you come to us physically come in that you're going to speak to or you've done some of it already, staff, governors, pupils, parents, alumni. You know, it's really important that all these stakeholder groups hear the message and, and make change. Otherwise, we are ticking boxes and talk is cheap. You and I agreed the best way forward was for them not only to hear me, but to, to hear your voice, your powerful voice, and just the fact that you're external to the organisation, mm. you know, that gives you massive impact here because they'll be thinking, who is this person that the headmaster's invited in? And then yes. they hear you speak and your personal story and your legal experience and, you know, all of those things that you you and I, and, and I won't steal your thunder because it's, it's your story. <laughs> you know, but it has to, they all have to hear it. Everybody has to because, I, it, it, and I'm, you know, it's, it's one thing to say things at school, but if the parents don't hear the same message and apply the same principles, then there's a conflict and you know, people end up confused. Yeah, and that whole school approach is very, very important, as you say, David. You don't want pockets of the community hearing, hearing one message and then the others almost having to second guess what's been said. You know, that consistency of the messaging is key. And, you know, we've already talked, David, about diversity and inclusion, equity, you know, why it's so important within any organisation, any community, within any business. But why is it so important to you, David? Why do you think diversity and inclusion are so important to get right today? To me, I mean, there are lots of influences on me, and I've, I've talked about many of them. You know, I've, I've talked about my my own education. And, I, I, you know, I, I had some inspirational teachers. I really did have some inspirational teachers. And I'm still in touch with some of them now. They might be Facebook friends, and, and that will that will continue. So... But that, you know, I, I feel fortunate to have had the background I did because I, you know, I think, without being too stereotypical about it, I think I've seen life from both sides of the, you know, that kind of proverbial track that people talk about. You know, that, that's been a, a big influence on me. Um, but I, I think also, you know, Birmingham, I'm on the fringe of Birmingham. You know, it's a very ethnically diverse city and a wonderful city for it. A truly wonderful city for that, and, and, I, and I've learned from my environment as well, really. Um, you know, and of course, you know, 
my journey in between. But I think, yeah, I think a combination of, of, of those two factors and, and, and great people that I've worked alongside and, and listening to pupils as well. You know, pupils, you know, the phrase every day is a school day, every day is a learning day. And, you know, pupils come to me sometimes and I, what a wonderful idea. And what a wonderful thing you just proposed. You know, like the equity flag crossing I mentioned earlier. I can't say that was my, that wasn't my idea. People came and said, what do you think? So what do you think about this? Uh, what, what a wonderful thing to do. And, and let's do it, you know. And, and I learned from, from people all the time. And I, I think, I, I say this probably with a little bit of humour at times, you know, that the day you say, the day you say there's nothing to learn about, left to learn about the legal profession, or the day I say there's nothing to left to learn about my profession, I think it's time to hang your boots up. Give somebody, yes. give somebody else the job. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm surrounded by talented pupils, talented parents, talented colleagues. And uh, I meet people like you and, 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 and you plant seeds that, that, that grow. And, you know, and, and, you know, a few years ago, okay, on, on a different topic, we, well, related topic, we, we, we were fortunate to have four Holocaust survivors come to school at the same time and talk to the school community and the wider community. And we had a, a, a tree planted uh, and the tree was a sapling taken from the tree that Anne Frank could see from their hiding place. And that's now in the school grounds. Um, and, you know, things like that, you never forget. You know, and I, I, these Holocaust survivors, uh, they must be all circa 90 now. So getting these people together won't be possible in the you know in the, sadly in the near future and we we managed it and that you know that wasn't my initiative that was you know a colleague on the leadership team that, that put that together and you sit there and you listen to them and and, and then we and we also had some survivors from, from the, the the bosnian genocide join us at that time and you can't believe that the lessons the holocaust lessons were not learned and we're still judging people on you know, what religion, country, and we still fail to learn those lessons because we're still doing it. We're still committing these, these atrocities. And it's things like that that shape me, I think. And I sit there sometimes with a, with a tear in my eye thinking, we still do these things. And I'm inspired by those people. You know, and I, you know I'm not a, not a great academic, you know, I've been to university, I've been teaching a long time, but I, 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 I keep learning all the time and I listen and I watch and I want people, you know, the kind of people, I want people to come to my door. I'd rather have a school of people that are kicking my door down with ideas and, and you might have 10 of them and one is brilliant than a, than a school community where I'm having to rev people up. I don't have that. I've got, I've got ideas people and I appoint people to, to the leadership team in other positions who are, they're disruptors. You know, the yes. they, they are disruptors, they're innovators, they're creative. And I say to people around the school, I want you to make mistakes because that, that shows me you are pushing boundaries. If you're not making mistakes, then I, I really don't think you are pushing those boundaries. You're not an agent of change. And I want agents of change around me. And I've got them. And, you know, and, and I, I, I have the privilege of having this conversation with you. But this is a team here, a big team and a successful team. And I've got a great common room of colleagues in the scene school and the prep school, and they are agents of change. We got tired, okay, of hearing universities 
and employers and CBI saying that school leavers and university leavers, they lack this skill and that skill and, and so on and so forth. So we thought we're going to do something about this. So we introduced something called our Novus curriculum, which isn't just a curriculum because it affects the co-curriculum and how we report and how we sanction and how we reward and all of these things. And we looked at four traits that we want people to develop. And we came up with two Fs and two Gs, flexible and being front-footed, grounded and being giving. And those four Novus curriculum traits are slowly but surely underpinning all that we do. And we, we reward people now for being front-footed, for being resilient, for being creative, for being flexible. And it's all part of this Novus curriculum. And again, that didn't come from me. That came from one of the deputy heads. who She, she felt very powerfully, very strongly about this. And, and, and then all those things shape me, shape how I lead the school and however in my life, I suppose. And I get it wrong. I do something stupid every day, you know, and, and I, I do that. And, and I'm sure I'll reflect on our conversation now. And did I really say that? <laughs> did I really talk so much? You have to make mistakes. And, and then, you know, then we're into growth mindsets about how we, we respond to challenges and how we make mistakes. That's a message that we've all subscribed to. And what a wonderful and just such a powerful way to end our conversation, David. You know, and yes, you know, you really did say that. You said it in a very powerful way. It's very clear your passion, your drive, the, the growth mindset, you know, the, the willingness to constantly be learning and to acknowledge that you've made mistakes and be prepared to learn from them. Such strong leadership traits. And it's just wonderful. I'm familiar with the Novus curriculum. Having that at this stage in young people's lives is invaluable, David, having that structure, because we know that then feeds into the workplace. And you are then measured very much against traits and competencies at work. Performance reviews are all based on these sorts of things. So how incredible to hear that you've introduced that within the school community. Honestly, I can't thank you enough for the example you've set, David, truly. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you, our lovely listeners, for so faithfully following us and sharing the links to the various episodes and making our podcast series uh, such a huge success. We've now had over 3,000 downloads, which is extraordinary. Uh, And thank you so much because we would be nothing without you. And on that note, I'll say goodbye for now. And I look forward very much to my next conversation with yet another truly inspiring leader, just like David E.J.J. Lloyd. Thank you very much, everyone, and goodbye.